Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Live from Dankosky's Good Time Parlor, where you can throw your peanut shells right on the floor, this is our banjo show. I'm Kyone Wolf, and those are actually trombones, right? They're trombones. I asked for banjos. Can we try this again? Live from Dankosky's Blah Blah Blah, this is our banjo show, a celebration of the greatest instrument. Okay, that's a ukulele. How hard is this? We want the music of a banjo, an instrument whose strings vibrate a membrane of plastic material or animal hide stretched over a circular frame. Okay, that's Barracuda by heart. That's totally random. It has no connection to the show we're doing. Okay, this really frosts my mug. We've had weeks to plan this. Who do I have to make out with in order to get a little banjo music around here? Okay, I'm probably gonna regret putting it that way. And now he's worried about what the calluses will do to his hand modeling career. Colin McEnroe. So the Pope and a banjo player are going into heaven together, and St. Peter shows them to their new digs, and first he brings the banjo player to this beautiful chamber with fluffy clouds and delicious colors, and then he shows the Pope to a pretty ordinary room, and the Pope says, what gives? And St. Peter says, well, we've got loads of religious leaders up here, but that guy is the first banjo player to make it. There are a lot of jokes like that, and banjo players often are the ones telling them. But the banjo truly is an interesting instrument with a puzzling history. We discovered we weren't the only people in public radio getting interested in banjos when, last week, we heard NPR's Greg Allen talking about the history of the banjo. Allen followed a man named Jata, who claims the akanting, a three-string instrument from West Africa, is the predecessor of the banjo in America. You'll hear a little bit of the akanting at the end of this clip. Among all the instruments ever mentioned as the prototype of the banjo from the African region, the akanting to me has more similarities, more objective similarities than any other that has ever been mentioned. Most people also know that one of the very few things Steve Martin takes absolutely seriously is the banjo. To that end, Martin recently set up a $50,000 prize for excellence in banjo playing. The first winner was Noam Pikelny of the band Punch Brothers. Our intrepid Kion Wolf caught up with Noam last week at a gig in Fairfield to ask him a few questions. How long have you been playing for, banjo specifically? Uh, I've been playing banjo for uh, 22 years. Was that the first instrument you started It was. It was my first instrument. I was eight years old and saw a commercial opportunity. How so? In the banjo. Uh, no, I, my brother was, was, was playing the mandolin, and uh, after about a couple years of him taking mandolin lessons and me going to the park with my mother and playing catch while he was furthering himself as a human being, I decided that it was time for me to pick up an instrument as well. Was it a quick learn? Did you pick it right up, or was it like uh, No, it was... Uh, it was, I was just an eight-year-old kid learning the banjo, taking lessons. I was kind of more interested in Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer. Um, but then uh, 
the next Flectones record came out. I went and bought Baleflex's new record, the UFO Tofu, and decided that I should get serious about the banjo and ditch the British Knights and the MC Hammer and uh, started practicing and taking it more seriously. Beautiful. Now, how long have you been hanging out with these guys? Uh, for five and a half years now, the band's been rolling around, yeah. Do you feel like grown as a banjo player because you're dealing with these guys every day, or do you feel like you're leading them? How does it feel? I feel like it's uh, it's an absolute uh, kind of continual uh, challenge amongst the group. We, we all uh, really feed off of each other. The band uh, is constantly something that's pushing me to uh, practice more and uh, try to understand my instrument better and play things that I may have never really attempted if to to find on my kind of, on my own on the banjo, which is kind of exciting. That's one of the nice things about the band is um, we think about the, the parts that we're playing kind of mu as music first and foremost, and then if it fits on the instrument, great, but that's if being uh, idiomatic to an instrument is not a prerequisite for, for what we're kind of arranging for ourselves. So in some cases it's, it's required like a real stretch to try to figure out how some of these things would apply to banjo, I and mean, other times it works easy on the banjo and it's really hard for everybody else. So. Those are the days I like. If there's an acknowledged virtuoso of the banjo playing today, it probably is Bela Fleck. And Bela Fleck and the band The Flecktones played last week in Windsor, Connecticut. We talked to Bela Fleck a little bit about his love of the banjo prior to that gig. I want to talk a little bit about your relationship with it. Um, you were, um, how old, 15 years old, I think, when you, when you first picked up a banjo? Yeah, I was 15 when I started, but I was, I was really interested in the banjo uh, ever since I first heard it as a, as a small boy. I don't know how old I was. I'm, I'm going to guess uh, somewhere between four and six at my grandparents' house in Flushing, Queens. Um, and they, they let me and my brother watch television one afternoon in their bedroom, which was sort of a big deal. And the Beverly Hillbillies came on. And I didn't know what that was, but it was a memorable moment in my life. What is that sound? So uh, ever since then, um, I was aware of the banjo as a sound, but it didn't have any real connotation to be, you know, southern or. It was just a sound that I just liked. Although you you would have been hearing that first time, Earl Scruggs uh, I think played the banjo on that, and and so I mean on the other hand, you say it didn't really have any connotations, but I'm guessing the first. 100 or 200 times you heard a, a banjo in your life, you were probably hearing bluegrass music or or, oh, yeah. or some immediate cousin of it, right? Yeah, yeah, but I think when I first heard it the very first time, um, I wasn't really, you know, particularly clear on what Southern culture was or anything like that. I just knew I had heard a sound. It wasn't the Southernness of it that I, uh, you know, identified with immediately. It was just that bright, fast, but... But it was something about that was just very immediate. And then, yeah, as time went on, um, I would hear it once in a while, and I'd go, wow, what is that? That's that there's that sound again. I like mm -hmm. that. But it was again, it wasn't the, the cultural part of it. It was just the actual tone and the, the notes that were played. Um, but, but you did feel called to and spoken to by this instrument in, in a way that other instruments didn't call to you or speak to you. Exactly. And, and, and I have to say, I still wasn't uh, to the point where I went out and got one. In fact, I never did go out and get one. Someone got one for me just by fluke. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so the, you know, it was a good 10 years later when I was 15 years old uh, that um, Dueling Banjos was out, and I had that same thing of, like, hearing it again and going, oh, there's that, I love that 
banjo, and I knew what it was by then, but I never thought I would be able to play it. Never, never in a million years would I have gone and bought one. But then my grandfather saw one at a, at a garage sale. By that time, I was playing sort of low-level folk guitar and reading Beatles chords out of books on guitar, and um, but without, without a real fever about it, just sort of mildly interested in the guitar. Then my grandfather shows up with this banjo the day before I started high school, and it was like you know, turning the electricity on full. I was like, wow, what's that? There it is. And then I started playing it that day, and, and I just went crazy for it. You started at some point to to innovate with it, too, and you started to play it in um, in genres not commonly associated with with the banjo, although we know that the banjo does sort of pop up in, in, in the repertoire of almost any genre that, that you can think of. Sure. But um, did you have any models for doing that, or were you just sort of thinking, okay, I love this instrument, I love a lot of different kinds of music, I'm just going to play lots of kinds of music with this instrument? Well, I, I think all of the pathways were set for that to be happening in the banjo world anyway, because um, you know even Earl Scruggs and what he did with the banjo was a, was a revolutionary uh, change in, in in how it had been played, and and from Earl Scruggs, Earl Scruggs on up, everybody who played the banjo that was known well had had innovated in some way, whether it was Don Reno playing sort of almost a guitar style on the banjo, or Bill Keith playing more jazz oriented stuff. Uh, and learning to play fiddle tunes that were, you know, not normally associated with being played on the banjo. Um, so I was always interested in all the banjo players that were doing cool, newer-sounding stuff, the chromatic banjo, the melodic banjo, the Reno banjo. Uh, and that, all, that led me to the, the top guy of the modern banjo scene, um, a guy named Tony Trishka, who's from Syracuse, New York. And he, he became my teacher, and he's, you know, still one of the most revolutionary guys to pick up the banjo um, and I was just lucky to, uh, after I'd been playing for about two years, uh, I got to start taking lessons with him for about a year. And he, he became my idol and my, uh, the guy I, I imitated and learned so much from. The, uh, on the other hand, there aren't that many people who name both Charlie Parker and Earl Scruggs as major influences. And, and did, your, your, did your, some of your tastes gravitate towards jazz right away, or did that come later? Well, certain jazz. I mean, some jazz I would listen to and it, I didn't relate to it, but jazz that had some kind of propulsive, exciting energy to it, like a Charlie Parker who was, you know, unstoppable once he started to play. The rhythmic was the, the rhythmic aspect was powerful. Listening to Chick Corea play the keyboards and his rhythmic stuff, because um, I think a big piece of what I fell in love with about the banjo was the rhythmic urgency of it. Um, so I wasn't looking to play like Stan Getz or, or you know, or some kind of jazz that was very laid back i was i was excited about hot jazz <laughs> and that that connected to me and it seemed like it fit the banjo you know one of the things we're talking a little bit about today and i'm guessing that you don't encounter it very much at the level you're operating uh, at but i think there is still this kind of latent prejudice that some people have against the banjo that they just just maybe the same way they might think of an accordion or something they just associate it with a kind of music that they don't like or or maybe they feel the opposite of the way that you feel you felt so spoken to by this instrument maybe they feel whatever the opposite of, of that is do you still encounter do you still encounter anti banjo people pretty rarely mm. i mean i think a lot of people have faced more of that than i have mm. um, before i came along guys like tony trishka who was pretty much ostracized by the bluegrass community for doing the modern things he was doing but um, I just know that when I first played the banjo, you know, in, in the 70s, um, and I'd walk by with a banjo, people would start flapping their arms and going, either going, yee-haw, or squeal like a pig, or some kind of negative southern stereotype about the banjo. And nowadays, when I walk around with the banjo, I don't get that. 
and students, like when, I'm, when I play colleges, instead of the young folks doing that, that sort of looking down on the banjo as some kind of cheese ball hillbilly deal, they're excited about it. Oh, banjo, oh, banjo's a really cool thing about American music. And the bluegrass, even bluegrass, has, has, has bloomed in, in its popularity because a lot of folks, uh, yeah, American young folks are trying to figure out, you know, what they can really get behind, you know, in American culture. And a lot of them are turning away from pop culture. And they go, wow, this country, this bluegrass stuff is like really deep and really special, just like jazz also is. It's a very American, very special piece of, of, of what we've got to offer. So a lot of people have connected to, to it that don't come from a rural background at all. The, this trip to Africa, it, it was actually preceded uh, on your part by a much longer interest in, in world music that kind of spread out across a, a bunch of years. Have you started playing some of the other instruments? For example, there's a, a Malian instrument. I, I may say the name wrong. Ngani or Ngoni. Ngoni. Uh, yeah. Have you started playing those instruments that are kind of ancestors or cousins of the banjo as well? No, and the reason that I that I don't is the same reason I don't play guitar or saxophone or piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I tried to play, learn to play jazz, I tried to play it on the banjo. And so when I try to learn to play African music, I try to play it on my banjo because that's where I can, that's where I can bring my forces to bear. Like I'm good at that. I can I can play the banjo. So if I'm gonna, you know if I learn a saxophone lick on the banjo, it's something new and special. If I learn a, a Malian uh, traditional Ngoni piece on the banjo, it's new to the banjo. Because they are different instruments, they're played with different techniques. Although they have a lot of things in common, they're both gourds. They sound quite different and they're tuned differently. And you know, so for me, it teaches me more about my instrument that I love every time I learn some music that hasn't been played on it before. You know, it's pretty common uh, for guitar players operating at your level to own seventy, eighty guitars. Do you own a lot of different banjos with a lot of different kinds of sounds to them? Yep, I got a lot of banjos. Mm-hmm. I haven't counted recently, but at least thirty, probably more. They're in every closet, you know, in the house. And and, uh, and and is there, for example, when you're playing in the classical repertoire, would you be playing a specific kind of banjo that, that has a sound associated with a classical or sym- symphonic repertoire? Um, I play almost exclusively. I play the same banjo I've been playing since 1981. <laughs> and I, I used to acquire other banjos to see if I could beat it. Mm-hmm. But now I've come to the terms with the fact that I'm never going to beat this banjo. And this is a 19, uh, 1937 Gibson Style 75, which was called a Style 75 because it cost $75 in those days. And uh, now it's a, you know, probably a $100,000 instrument. And it's just warm and beautiful. It's not particularly be- uh, beautiful looking, but it's got the sound I'm looking for. It fills up the room. It, and it's, it resonates everywhere from the first fret to the last fret of every string. So I really have, have the, the possibility to play music that doesn't sound good on all banjos. But but that being said, when I go in the studio, which is in my basement, I start pulling out banjos and go, maybe I'll try this banjo for this song or this one for that song. And it's more for me because I, I enjoy the differences, the subtle differences between some of these old instruments. You know, it's not like most people could tell the difference listening to the record. Well, this is a Banjo Virtuoso Bela Fleck. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to let you take us out with uh, some of your music right now. But uh, thanks for talking to us today. Oh, man, my pleasure.
uh, say hello to uh, Dick Bowden from the Old Time Bluegrass Singers uh, and uh, Jim Mercick uh, from the Congo Square Ramblers. They're both in here uh, with banjos. Jim actually has uh, multiple banjos and something that looks like maybe a banjo but but, <laughs> but but maybe isn't. We'll find out about that in just a second. Jim, I, I did want to start out with you. Uh, you and I have known each other for a really long time. And when I first got to know you, you were a guitarist. And, mm-hmm. and not only a guitarist, but you were a guitarist who I think kind of specialized and, and gravitated towards a very deep, warm kind of sound on the acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. In some ways, you're like the last guy I would expect <laughs> to be picking up a banjo because the sound of the banjo is so different. So explain, how, how do you come to be uh, showing up here as not only a banjo player, but a banjo teacher uh, and something of a banjo uh, expert, uh, archivist? I got into um, banjo pretty early, uh, uh, maybe three or four years after I got into guitar, which would be in my, my late teens. And essentially what it was was I was a blues fanatic, country blues fanatic. And uh, I was hearing something in that music that I still haven't been able to really quantify. But I was starting to hear the same thing in rural country music, pre, especially pre-bluegrass music, but in bluegrass too. I mean, blue is in bluegrass, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, I was, and so I was really moved to learn. And what, what really fascinated me was the pre bluegrass, more archaic styles that were uh, frailing, uh, you know, uh, cruder ways to play banjo, but I just, I just loved it. So I just labored quietly for decades uh, messing around with banjo. Maybe, you know, maybe one month or two months a year focusing on banjo the rest of the time being a guitar player. You know, uh, Dick Bowden, I, I could just tell from your reaction that you, like uh, Noam Pagelny, went into banjo mainly as a commercial opportunity, right? You just saw <laughs> it as a big moneymaker, right? I wish. I only wish. Um, what what did speak to you about this instrument? And, and did you gravitate, as Jim kind of did, from somewhere else, or were you always, always, always a banjo player? When I was seven years old, I started out playing the uh, acoustic guitar because I grew up in the state of Maine out in the country, and there's a big country music tradition up there. So I started on the guitar because... That's where you start. But mm-hmm. uh, within a year or so, there was a neighbor lady who could play the banjo a little bit, and it was fascinating to watch her play. And she used to play, uh, it's one of the college fight songs, and I never did find out exactly which one it is, but she used to sing the words to it, beer, 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 for you and for I. Bring on the whiskey, bring on the rye. And she could play that on the banjo. That really fascinated me. She showed <laughs> me how to play it. That's about as far as I went when I was 10 years old. My family went down to Pennsylvania, and we saw Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs and their show live. And I got my picture taken with Earl Scruggs when I was 10, and that was it. I uh, (laughs) pretty much laid down my guitar and sold it, and my dad had a banjo. And so I've been playing the banjo now for 46 years and haven't made a nickel. (laughs) So the beer, beer, beer song was kind of your version of meeting the devil at the crossroads. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, And, you know, Jim, uh, speaking of the devil at the crossroads, uh, I I did see you playing banjo recently in a graveyard uh, with uh, a jazz band. (laughs) That is true. uh, The Congo Square Ramblers. And and one of the things that you were doing there really is using – the banjo as a jazz instrument. And as Bela Fleck said, and as we, I mean, Django Reinhardt, when he wasn't playing guitar, played the banjo. There's nothing new about playing jazz mm-hmm. on the banjo, but people kind of forget. They don't think of it as something you play jazz on. Yeah, that, and the other thing too is in the traditional jazz environment with the Congo Square Ramblers, we have saxophone and tuba and vocal. You know, we have a, 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 essentially a, a, a traditional New Orleans jazz instrumentation. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily gravitate to the whole book of music but the one thing from in that genre the banjo is a rhythm instrument i mean it was always a rhythm instrument and a harmonic instrument you know and uh uh in fact you know one of the when you ask me why i get into banjo i mean banjo is essentially a drum with strings on it 
Uh, in fact, in the 20s, companies like Slingerland and uh, uh, drum manufacturers made banjos because they were making the same exact thing. They just put a neck on it. So uh, for me, I'm, I like playing rhythm, and uh, it was a natural thing for me to pick up on that. Well, you've got uh, instruments in here, and uh, a little bit later, uh, Kion Wolf will get a banjo lesson from Jim Mercer, who does teach banjo. Uh, right now, we have Dick Bowden here. Uh, you want to play a little something for us? And uh, just uh, tell us what to listen to when, when, you, when you're playing it, too. All righty. Well, as I mentioned, I, I was inspired to play the banjo, really, by meeting Earl Scruggs, and that's a whole style of bluegrass music. And I'll, I'll play one of those a little bit later. But after playing that style of music for maybe 20 to 30 years, I started to get exposed to the predecessors to Earl Scruggs in country music. And, you know, these were the fellows on the Grand Ole Opry, the Big Four, Uncle Dave Macon, Brother Oswald, Grandpa Jones, and String Bean. And, you know, the last place people saw any of this kind of playing used to be on the old TV show called Hee Haw. <laughs> They'd be on there. But I got really interested in that type of banjo where the banjoist is also a songster. And uh, that's on Uncle Dave Macon's gravestone, banjoist and songster. So, you know, he could play, but he also sang, and he was trying to be a, a, a broad-level entertainer. So I've gotten interested in those kind of music where you, you sing and play the banjo and try and entertain more than just, uh, you know, provide rhythm or support other instruments. I'm going to do an old one that uh, Uncle Dave Macon used to do and Bashful Brother Oswald and all the old-time banjo players, and I'll play it in what's called the claw hammer style with no picks, and it's called Coming from the Ball. Monday I got married Don't get dreary Don't get dreary Children don't get dreary Coming from the ball Nashville is a pretty place Knoxville is a cutie You want to see them pretty gals Hop to Chattanooga Don't get dreary Don't get dreary Children don't get dreary Coming from the ball. Think they can hear me all right? Yeah. <laughs> now don't get dreary. Don't get dreary, children. Don't get dreary. Coming from the ball. Hot dog. All right, that was Dick Bowden. You know, I'm going to let him catch his breath. And uh, Jim Mercy, I hope uh, in just a second you're going to pick up something and, and sure. play it for us. But before we do, one of the things as we were getting ready for this show and started to do some of the reading on it, I realized I, I don't. I mean, the banjo is one instrument, but really, you know, he talked about claw hammer. I, I started encountering a lot of terms, right? <laughs> I mean, they're they're just a sort of a lot of different ways to play the banjo, different tunings, different. I mean, really, yeah. the, it's like about 18 different instruments. Yeah, and I think when again looking back to the prior questions, one of the things that really got me fascinated on banjo, uh, I picked one up because I was in a band with two other friends when I was a late 
15, and we were all playing guitar, and it sounded like a bad 101 strings. You know, we were all playing <laughs> the same thing. So we, my, my cousin went out and bought a mandolin for 25 bucks, and I was lucky enough to find a good banjo for a couple hundred bucks. And I tried to play it, and I played it just like I play guitar, and I could play it, and people would run up and say, hey, you can play banjo. But after like two weeks, I was pretty darn bored. So I went out. There were very few learning tools back then. But I started to look, and in the old-time realm particularly, it seemed like every player who was of any note had a completely different way of playing the banjo. Everybody, they tuned it differently. Everybody, it seemed like it was an imperative to come up with your own style that no one else could play. And it just really, and and also I tried to play them, and they were hard. (laughs) (laughs) And for some reason it challenged me. It didn't turn me off. it, It turned me on. I'm going to give Jim a chance to pick something up there so that he can play it while he's doing that. Dick Bowden, I know one thing we were talking about before we went on the air. There is kind of a Mark Twain connection to all this, right? Oh, uh, Mark Twain wrote extensively about the banjo in uh, many of his books. It was an extremely popular instrument in the late 1800s. Probably that's when it was the most popular, actually. And uh, it was in all forms of uh, show business at the time. And uh, it was distinctly American. It traveled to England in 1840 and became a huge hit over there and uh, was played all over the British Isles. So uh, there's a lot of argument right now on the banjo internet site called the Banjo Hangout. Uh, Did Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, actually play the banjo himself? And it's kind of one of those furious arguments with, with no real answer. But a lot of people think he must have because he mentioned it so frequently. But it's just possible the banjo was so prevalent in American music in the late 1800s. It, it would be like not mentioning a guitar player today. Well, if our friend uh, Jacques Lamar at the Mark Twain House is listening right now, I'm sure he's going to start ransacking the closets over there to see if he can find uh, Mark Twain's old banjo. Great. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jim Mercer, you've picked up the thing that you've brought. you brought several <laughs> different instruments. This is the one that looks the least like what my idea of a banjo is. Yeah. Uh, well, technically, uh, when I bought I bought it in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, um, a few years ago, let's mm-hmm. put it that way. And, uh, uh, but it's a fretless, uh, homemade, uh, uh, North Carolina-style banjo uh, made out of a couple planks of uh, walnut and got some strings on it. Uh, the you can reason- actually see where the bolts are in yeah, the wood, too. Absolutely. Really yeah, like yeah, a- yeah, you don't have ribs. All- you got four, four uh, um, uh, ribs on it, whereas uh, uh, Dick's uh, banjo has 32 or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, but I brought it because for two reasons. One, visually, it's just... First of all, it looks like it could come from Asia. It looks like it could come from Africa. It looks like it could come from southern Appalachia. It's it just something totally uh, unique about it. When you were talking uh, earlier on uh, with the, with the, um, the pre-taped interview, you mentioned accounting. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you play this instrument, you start to like – it doesn't have the tonality that an accounting does. But uh, one of the real interesting things, when Dick was just playing, he was using a style that, is, that has three or four different names, claw hammer, down picking – uh, uh, frailing, uh, but it, when people look for the roots of banjo, you end up talking about a conting because not only does the thing look like a banjo just in its silhouette, but the actual playing t- style is a down picking style. So what I wanted to do with this is just play a simple little uh, crude version of a ceremonial dance from Gambia that uh, I've really bastardized. It, 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 any Gambian people listening, please don't think I'm uh, historically accurate on this, but it, it does, it does, it's a little link. Yeah.
And that's kind of interesting, too, because yeah, you kind of have kind of a drone thing going there. And, yeah. and I was reading about the earliest banjos. The earliest banjos, as I said before, were, were played uh, exclusively in this country by African-Americans and uh, coming mm-hmm. out of that tradition. And, and, and the thought was um, that they, they probably often did incorporate that, that kind of drone sound yeah. that you hear less often, I think, today. The, the one thing I, w- I wouldn't mind adding, too, is that uh, the drone thing's really important in the sub- Southern Appalachian music thing because – the people that populated the Southern Appalachians when they moved from Europe were from the British Isles mostly, and a lot of those songs played with bagpipes, mm-hmm. and they didn't have bagpipes, but the the drone effect of the banjo matched well with the modal tonality and droning of these old 14th, 15th, 16th century tunes. It's one of the big reasons banjo was popular in the Appalachians. They were playing these old European tunes that they had stopped playing in Britain hundreds of years ago, but they were still playing them, and banjo was a a suitable instrument for that because of the drone. We're going to uh, grab one call here and go to a break. When we come back, uh, you're going to hear uh, more of Dick Bowden and uh, Jim Mercer will be given Cayenne Wolf a uh, banjo lesson. You'll hear uh, Dick and Jim play together uh, towards the end here. Uh, here's uh, Christian in Southington. Hi, Christian. Great show. Um, I wanted to talk about my favorite banjo player. Uh, he's a bluegrass player. You guys may have heard of him. His name is Roger Strong. He's actually a good friend of mine. Uh, he used to play with Jerry Garcia back in the village in the 60s. Yeah, well, there's, the heads are nodding here. So sure. uh, is there a thing in particular you, you like about him? Partially that I get to jam with him, and uh, <laughs> it's, you're a lucky. Uh, guy. You're a lucky guy. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. We have we have parties just about every month, and we hang out. And he's a great guy, and uh, basically just love hanging out with him. I love how fast he is, and he can still sing. He's 80 years old. Wow, <laughs> that's impressive. You know what we're going to do? We've got Dick Bowden here in the studio with us, a uh, Jim Mercick, uh, and uh, you're going to hear more from them uh, when we come back from this break. Uh, Kyan Wolf's going to come in and sit down and. We think she can play just about anything, but I don't think she's ever played a banjo before. I was picking One day daddy put my fingers down upon the strings. He picked it with his other hand. We made the banjo ring. Now the music takes me back across the yellow day. To the summers with my dad and the tunes he The banjo player says to the guitar player, when I die, I want to leave the world a better place. And the guitar player says, don't worry, you will. Today's show was produced by me, Patrick Scahill, and Betsy Kaplan with help from our intern, Gabriel Sister. The part of Bill Curry was played by Earl Scruggs. On tomorrow's show, our pop culture roundtable, The Nose, is live from New Haven. And now, back to Colin. So um, I always say that I've never asked Kion Wolf to do something that she couldn't do. Um, <laughs> oh. And I've made some fairly unreasonable requests uh, over time. And she does seem to be able to play a lot of musical instruments. <laughs> it's hard to say that she's immersed herself in any of them, but anything she picks up, she seems to be able to get a, a sound out of. So we wondered whether Jim Mercer could uh, teach her how to play a banjo on very short notice. So in, in a few minutes uh, here, what, is, uh, what does she I'm need gl- to know how to do to do, well, how to do this? we've already discovered that she plays some guitar, so she knows how to work a fretted instrument. So... I thought about this a little bit, and I and you were able to find some notes there, right? A little bit. On, 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 there's on, a few on, in there. On the, fret, the fifth string, up, fifth fret up here. Yeah, that's a good one. That's all I like that. Third fret. You know what? You know what it is where the inlays are on oh, the neck. The pretty little pictures yeah, on yeah. them. Yeah, <laughs> work on. Yeah, work on the uh, uh, on those frets. You know, uh, and pick them up. Right. And what I would what I would do for if I had to give somebody. A lesson in, in like two minutes, I would say, 
try to imagine that people are dancing and you have to make them dance and just go for it. Wow. Don't, so sort of improvise. I'm, I'm saying just, just get a picture of people dancing in your head and, and, and how would you get them to move? Give it a shot. on the neck of it. You but, found one. Found that's, a, that's the only wrong note. Yeah. Not that one. But it sounds like play, banjo playing to me. I, I guarantee you, if you gave her an hour. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you. Give me an hour and so, a banjo. So that was the whole lesson. You told her like two things. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Well, yeah. it's, it's but, not, you know, that's what it is. I mean, you, you, it's, uh, I, I, that's one of the reasons I really like banjo is that you can – you can play it. You know, they don't they don't call it working a banjo. They call it playing a banjo, you know. So, playing a banjo. That's true, know. and that was really good instruction in terms of visualizing. <laughs> you know, when I do voiceover stuff, I just – you visualize what the audience is and there how you, you feel, and it just – everything sort of just falls into place. That's, I like that, that. That sounded pretty. Hey, thanks. You know? Thanks for the accompaniment. We'll, we'll just <laughs> add that to the list of things that uh, Karen Wolf <laughs> no, I just need a banjo. sort of figure yeah. out. She just needs a banjo. She'll be picking one up at your uh, tag sale. Yeah. <laughs> she actually does scour around for stuff like I that. I do. Uh, oh. Thanks for coming in and being so brave, Wolfie. We're going to bring uh, Dick Bowden back in here. While we're doing that, um, Jim, uh, you know, I asked Dick Bowden about Mark Twain, but you actually, as a banjo uh, student and archivist, uh, you actually know about another uh, kind of Hartford connection to the banjo. Yeah, actually, at some point, I uh, uh, one of the great banjo makers of the early part of the 20th century was uh, the, the banjos were labeled Bacon and Day. And uh, the, ba- the bacon <laughs> was Fred J. Bacon. Mm. And I ended up procuring an instrument made by the Bacon Banjo Company around uh, 1910 or, or so. And I started, and it was stamped Hartford, Connecticut. And, and eventually Bacon ended up down in uh, uh, Groton. And uh, that was where they made the biggest number of their banjos. But uh, he was in Hartford. So I went to the Hartford Library. And the Hartford Library has a wonderful – this was when the Hartford Library was old. Mm. Uh, But they still had these old uh, uh, directories, which are available for anybody's perusal, uh, that list every company and person in Hartford. And they cross-reference it by street. You can look up your street and see who lived on your street in 1887 or at your house number. And uh, so I looked and I hunted down Fred J. Bacon and he lived on Warrington Avenue. <laughs> and uh, he had a shop for a little bit on Trumbull Street. And uh, uh, but uh, so anyway, uh, uh, there's a very good chance. And I was living right around the corner for him mm. on Boulevard and uh, from that house. And uh, I, there's a very good chance that the banjo I was playing was in that house in, in, in 1905 or something. Wow. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, you a, rich, know? a rich banjo tradition. We're going to hear another song from Dick Bowden in just a second here. I want to grab a call from uh, Bill in Hartford. Hi, Bill. Listening to um, 
Wolfie play banjo over a really bad cell phone connection, it, it gives it it gives it instant authenticity. Yes. It's like it's right out of the Library of Congress. Right, Alan Lomax lives. Exactly. Hey, I wanted to ask about Bacon and Day. Up in the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, they have a display of old American banjos. Some of them are just gorgeous, and I think some of them were made in the Boston area around the late 1800s. What really surprised me is they were five-string banjos. Has the five-string banjo, you know, been much more than just kind of a southern musical instrument? Uh, Dick has got an answer to that one. Yeah, the five-string was the original banjo, and uh, it it came from the African American community, and it's kind of mysterious how it spread all over. But uh, it did spread all over, and by the 1830s, 1840s. There were banjo players in every big city, Boston, New York, Philadelphia, and it wasn't exclusively on uh, the southern cities anymore. And uh, until, well, probably 1900, all banjos were five-string banjos. That's just what a banjo was. And uh, they became very commercial, made in multiple factories, and a lot of people do feel that the Boston banjos were the peak of the art. But then uh, music began to change a little bit and modernize, and as jazz came along, uh, they started to play banjos in that music, and it's, it's a different kind of music, a different way of playing. They removed the fifth string and made the four-string banjo in a couple different ways, a short neck called the tenor banjo and a long neck called the plectrum banjo, and they even made a banjo with six strings on it and called it a guitar banjo, and you played it exactly like a guitar. So... Post-1900, the banjo started to uh, have a lot of variations. And uh, in the 1930s, the five-string banjo was almost clinically dead. Hmm. You know, sales were nothing. And then as bluegrass music and folk music and the Beverly Hillbillies and all that came on, that brought the five-string banjo back to life. And nowadays, it's the four-string banjo that's, that is in Twilight, and the five-string banjo is ascendant. Well, I don't know how much more time we're going to get to have. We want to hear each of you play, but uh, Dick Bowden, just uh, give us another uh, quick banjo tune. Sure. Uh, I'm, I've got my picks on now. I'm going to play in the Scruggs or Bluegrass style. This is a song written by a friend of mine down in Nashville named Larry Perkins. It's only about 20 years old or so, but uh, he wrote it to thank the man who helped him learn to play, whose name was Wade. So the song is called Thanks, Wade. Dick Powden from the old time bluegrass singers. You might have to catch him uh, here and now at uh, the Firebox, right? Is that That's what you, correct. Yeah. We play at the Firebox a few times a year. 
And uh, Jim Mercik, uh, you know, you've been giving lessons and playing Gambian songs and stuff like that, <laughs> but I haven't really uh, heard you play uh, an actual kind of regular old banjo tune. You going to do something for us? Yeah, I'm going to do uh, uh, something I would I would do uh, with my uh, my Congo Square Ramblers band. It's an old New, Eng- uh, New Orleans tune called Tishomingo Blues. Pretty much a straight uh, straight blues tune in the old New Orleans style. That's Jim Mercik. Uh, you can hear him with the Congo Square Ramblers. Might hear him uh, playing with our old friend uh, Hugh Blumenfeld every once in a while. Oh, did he play banjo when you play with Hugh, Hugh Blumenfeld? Uh, rarely, but once in a while. Once in a while, I'll let you pick one up. Yeah. Um, all right. So, um, you know, one of the questions I sort of had, too, was, I mean, the more that, that we listened and read and learned and stuff like that, the more I realized that that restrictive notions of the banjo were pro- probably kind of wrong. And, I mean, even <laughs> I, I'd sort of forgotten this, but uh, the last time I was involved with a uh, staging of Rhapsody in Blue, I looked up at the orchestra and there was a banjo and I'd sort of forgotten even then that Gershwin actually in the full orchestration for Rhapsody in Blue, he's got a banjo in there. Sure. And sometimes it gets dropped out of the whatever the 43-piece <laughs> version of it is. But it kind of makes me think, I mean, do you guys feel as though really a banjo could be used to play pretty much anything? I'll ask you first, Dick. Well, I think Bela Fleck and Tony Trishka and Noam Pakelny have really stretched uh, the conception of what a five-string banjo can do. And I got to jam once with Noam down in uh, Greenwich Village, and it's astounding how fast his mind works and how he knows his banjo so well. I believe fellows of that uh, wide exposure could literally play any kind of music, and, and they do it in their concerts. You know, they're, they may be the outliers or they may be the very best we have, but uh, it can be done if you want to. 
One of the things I would add to that is uh, if you go right back to when we were talking about banjos in 1880, uh, people were playing the William Tell Overture on five-string banjo, nylon strings, and they they were unbelievable. I, like That was right at the outset of cylinder recordings, and there's some really crude, a guy named uh, Vess Osman uh, was down in New York City, and uh, it, it was just unbelievable, the gymnastic ability of these people. So even 125 years ago, people were, were doing ridiculous complex things on a banjo. So, From sheet music, I will add. Yeah, yeah, they read. <laughs> um, you know, we, we mentioned him before, but it does seem as though Steve Martin, I mean, he, he every time he shows up with a banjo somewhere, I keep waiting for the joke, and there isn't a joke. In fact, it's the one place where he, he doesn't, for the most part, joke around very much. He sold out a show here in Connecticut uh, earlier this year, and, and you were sort of saying that he, in a way he's kind of, you know, just because of his reputation for other stuff, I mean, he really is becoming just the foremost proponent of the banjo in a lot of ways. Well, that's very true, and he's he's wealthy enough that uh, he, he loses money every time he goes out and does a show that's banjo music and bluegrass <laughs> instead of his regular concert, but he's at a position <laughs> in success where he can do what he wants. And uh, he wants to play the banjo, and his his new CD that's out, he wrote all the music on it because he wants to contribute new songs to the five-string banjo tradition. So I think a lot of people were skeptical at first, like, is he slumming or dabbling? But he's really serious, and he's put his money where his mouth, mouth is with the... Uh, the prize for the contribution to banjo playing. Yeah, $50,000. Well, this is what you've all been waiting for. Uh, they, they, These two guys met each other like 10 minutes before the show, uh, <laughs> but they did agree that they would kind of jam together as we headed out here. So uh, I, I'm just going to warn you now, you need to keep playing for about two minutes. or <laughs> We're going to have some dead silence. No problem. No, that'll be no problem. So uh, so here they go from the Congo Square Ramblers, Jim Mercick, and from the old-time bluegrass singers, uh, Dick Bowden. Thank you, Colin. Hang on, children. Cripple Creek. I'm a-picking and I'm a-grinning. show that we did way back in August of 2011, and there's a pretty good chance you didn't hear it, because it happened right at the time of Hurricane Sandy, and there were about a million people in this region who didn't have power. So we wanted to rebroadcast it now, because comedian and banjo rock star Steve Martin will be playing with Edie Brickell and the Steep Canyon Rangers tonight at the Bushnell at 7.30, where you'll hear music from their Grammy-nominated collaboration, Love Has Come For You. Check that out. We'll be back tomorrow, live from New Haven, again.
begin with the nose. I'm Kyone Wolf. Did you know banjo spelled backwards is Ajnab, which coincidentally is the tuning for a banjo?